0: For almost her entire life, Jamie Harris didn't care about sports.
1: My mom is a very big sports fan. She loves football and baseball and all that kind of stuff. And I only went to football games in high school because I had to, because I was in the band. The one time I did care was there was a guy that just happened to be in my math class. And so I'm like, oh, I know someone. So now I have somebody to cheer for. It's kind of like I have to have like a background, personal type information to feel like you have a connection to something to even care about it.
0: But about a year ago, things changed drastically for Jamie.
1: I remember calling my mom and telling her one day, I was like, mom, I like a sport.
0: (laughs) Jamie's sport of choice was Formula One. Auto racing. It
1: slides down, away we go. Hamilton gets away well, and he's getting towards Max Verstappen now, who tries to cover him off and pushes him to the left-hand side. Paris is-
0: Jamie came to F1 in an unusual way through a reality TV show called Drive to Survive. We want the drivers to be heroes. Who's your favorite driver?
2: Who is ever winning for us? Driver that will say, f*** up, I'm going for it.
0: Yes, go! These days, Jamie's hooked on Formula One. She's tuning into races, buying merch, and she's not alone. After struggling for years to attract new fans, F1 is now finding tons of them and boosting its business. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, October 29th. Coming up on the show, how reality TV turbocharged F1 and why other sports leagues are watching.
2: This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, Whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com.
0: Modern Formula One was invented after World War II. It was a way for European auto manufacturers to compete with each other and push the limits of what cars can do. Drivers for companies like Ferrari and Mercedes raced at dangerously high speeds in glitzy locales, like Monte Carlo. Down goes the checkered flag for first man home, and it's Alfa Romeo's number two, Giuseppe Farina. More than 70 years later, they're still at it. It's not a complicated recipe. It's cars going really fast. That's our colleague Joshua Robinson. He's been watching F1 since the 1990s, when he was a kid growing up in London, Back then, colorful, larger-than-life drivers like Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher kept fans hooked. But in recent years, he says F1 has hit some speed bumps.
2: Everyone around F1 could feel that there was still a loyal fan base around, but the sport wasn't necessarily going anywhere.
0: It's partly because, according to some fans, F1 got kind of boring. A handful of drivers and teams always seemed to win, so there wasn't a lot of suspense. The Sport also got safer and more technical. It was less freewheeling. The cars even got quieter. F1 got rid of the old V12 engines.
2: The Sport wasn't as raw. And what happened was fans got bored with the idea that what's going to make the difference here is not necessarily how audacious a driver can be in trying to overtake around a corner, but rather who's going to manage their tire wear better.
0: Uh huh. It sounds kind of nerdy.
2: It's extremely nerdy. You know, you go into an F1 garage, and it can sometimes feel like Cape Canaveral. Every little piece of the car is hooked up to very sensitive data sensors. And of course, the most important sensor in the car is the driver. Not to, not to put it crudely, but they'll often say that the most sensitive sensor in the car
0: is the driver's ass. <laughs> Why, because he can feel the vibrations under his butt? Exactly. Exactly. For some fans, all this emphasis on data took some of the drama out of the sport.
2: People don't necessarily want to watch tactical racing. They want to see people driving by the seat of their pants and, uh, you know, passing someone around a corner while pulling 3Gs.
0: And getting people to watch is critical for F1's bottom line because Formula One makes its money from licensing races to broadcasters. Fundamentally,
2: what you're selling is TV rights. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you put out a, a poor product that's not going to help your popularity, and that's certainly not going to help you sell TV rights.
0: On top of that, running an F1 team had become more and more expensive. Teams were going bankrupt.
2: The cost had spiraled out of control. The popularity was just not growing anymore. So for the CEO of Formula One, Stefano Domenicali, it was kind of a do-or-die moment in F1 history.
0: According to Domenicali, injecting some excitement back into the sport was, quote, crucial. And then, one of the biggest media companies in the world presented F1 with an opportunity to capture a whole new audience. That company was Netflix.
2: Netflix, as we know, has a lot of money to develop a lot of content. And when the approach came from Netflix and a British based production company to do a documentary, F1 jumped at the opportunity. What was Netflix's pitch? They were trying to just do a behind-the-scenes documentary with as much fly on the wall as they could get, but they had no idea what it would turn into.
0: What it turned into was a full-blown reality TV phenomenon. That's next.
2: This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. There's no better feeling than finishing work for the day, sipping an ice-cold soda and nuzzling down into a Citizen M bed. Recharge your brain and batteries at Citizen M hotels. They're in the tech cities, Menlo Park, Miami, Austin, New York, San Francisco, where people like you work, sleep, and play. Book now at citizenm.com slash thejournal.
0: Netflix's initial plan was just to make a documentary, but they soon saw the potential for something more. They created a 10-episode series called Drive to Survive. The show first premiered in 2019, and despite a whole lot of revving engines, it wasn't really about cars. Every day I break
1: out in a cold sweat thinking, do I have the set to do it? The risk of death will never go away. Massive accident! I'm not worried about dying. Whoa!
2: willing to do anything. Let's see who's the best. If you don't know anything about F1, this is full of, like, sound and color and, like, interesting personalities. They did not get bogged down in any of the nerdy chat. You would learn very little about how tire wear works from watching Drive to Survive.
0: But you would learn a lot about the people, the young drivers fighting for their first ever Grand Prix wins, the feuding team bosses. And that
2: was a new kind of way for them to market themselves. And it's kind of back to that original appeal of F1, which was look at these cowboys driving really fast cars in glamorous places.
0: So would you say that it has more in common with like the Real Housewives of New Jersey than it does with an ESPN show? (laughs) It's the Real Housewives of Monte Carlo. Drive to Survive made F1 drivers like Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen household names for people who'd never even watched an F1 race. And it wasn't just the drivers who were getting airtime on the show. It was the lesser known names too, the people behind the scenes.
2: I'm Gunther Steiner, I'm the team principal of Haas F1 team. Gunther Steiner is a career auto engineer and had no reason to be famous. I love racing, it's my passion. I started off in the bottom as a mechanic I'm doing it a long time, more than 30 years. He was the team principal of a team that wasn't winning and wasn't going to win, but working for Gene Haas, who is an American who has backed a number of auto racing teams for decades.
0: Haas was a young team, an American team, competing against behemoths like Mercedes and Ferrari. And it was Gunther's job to help them break out.
2: Steiner became a character in this show because Haas gave them a lot of access and it turned out the camera loved him because he was completely unguarded. He is Italian but speaks with kind of an Austrian accent, and he curses freely, and he wears his heart on his sleeve, and when things go badly, it actually makes for great TV.
0: Things go badly for Gunther and the Haas team pretty often on Drive to Survive, starting in the show's very first episode. — in it, the Haas team is competing at the Australian Grand Prix.
2: This is dreamland for Haas. So there's now only Mercedes and Ferrari in front of the young American Haas team. Everything had been going so well. The Haas cars were pretty far up the field, looked like they were both going to score points in that race. And that's a rare thing for the team. And then within a few laps... Stop the car, stop the car, stop the car, stop the car, stop the car.
0: One of Haas's drivers, Kevin Magnuson, had just pulled into a pit lane for a tire change. Soon after, one of his wheels started acting up. The pit crew hadn't screwed it on right. And just a little while later, the same thing happened to Haas's second driver, Roman Grosjean. Stop the car, stop the car, we have a front left loose. Stop the car, stop the car. Two boneheaded screw-ups, and the entire Haas team was out of the race. And of course, Netflix's cameras were trained on Gunther
2: you just see his face sink. And he's got to get on the phone to Gene Haas and explain exactly what went wrong because that's the guy putting up the money and ultimately the buck stops with Gunther. I don't know, Gene. I don't have the answer to that one. We just f*** this one up. Yeah. It doesn't make it right. I know that, you know. Saying it, f- it, up, it doesn't make it right. I will do a proper investigation, Gene. Don't worry. You know that. I will fix it. Trust me.
0: This kind of unfettered behind-the-scenes access made some teams wary of participating in the show. Two of the sport's biggest names, Ferrari and Mercedes, sat out the first season. But fans loved it. The show was a hit. By season two, the holdouts had caved. Mercedes and Ferrari were in. And when season three premiered, Drive to Survive was the top show on Netflix worldwide. One of the people tuning in was Jamie Harris, a 44-year-old stay-at-home mom in Texas, who you heard from at the top of the show.
1: I watched it, and I liked it. I got really um, intrigued with it. I guess it's because all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff is what got me.
0: Before F1, Jamie had only ever cared about one football game in high school because she knew one of the players who was in her math class. And with Drive to Survive, it kind of worked the same way. The show introduced her to F1 drivers, and most importantly, told her why they wanted to win so badly.
1: This is what they have on the line, and they were making like a whole storyline out of it. So you had somebody to root for and all that. And so I guess I kind of, I kind of like that.
0: How long did it take you to get through the first season? Was it like a binge watch situation?
1: Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. If it wasn't in one day, I'm sure it was in two.
0: But Jamie didn't stop with the show. She started digging up YouTube videos with F1 drivers, started following racing news on Twitter. And then she did the thing F1 had been hoping for all along. She started watching actual F1 races live.
1: It's lights out and away we go. Even start. From-
0: In a single weekend, Jamie says, she might watch the race pre-show, practice, qualifiers, the Grand Prix.
1: So that's... You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, six or seven hours a weekend.
0: Have you convinced anybody to watch it with you?
1: Just my kids. Me and my daughter, Lando is our favorite driver, but we also like Max and we want him to win the championship. And my son's favorite driver is Max, but he's he's five. So he just says, where's Max, mom? Where's Max?
0: She's also started spending money on her new hobby. First came the F1 Pro subscription so she can stream every race. It's
1: like maybe $80 a year.
0: And then came the merch.
1: I have three hoodies. I have three shirts and I have a hat.
0: How much do you spend on these hooded sweatshirts?
1: Oh, you don't even want to know.
0: I do want to um, know. Trust me. <laughs> I, say, I say,
1: well, I'm, I'm lucky because I am an adult. I'm older. My husband has a very good job. Probably a hundred bucks a piece. I would say on the hoodies.
0: So what does it feel like now to be a sports fan?:
1: It is weird, I guess. <laughs> it's like now I understand why there's those guys, and I guess women, also like my mother, who sit and shout at the TV, and if the you know race or their game is on, they're like, "Don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, because this is you know important. I don't want to miss anything. and yes yeah, so now I, that's me. That's me.
0: New sports fans are hard to develop, and it's what every sport wants to do, from baseball to bass fishing. Joshua says he's been surprised by how effectively a reality TV show has pulled it off.
2: My experience with a lot of sports fans and people who expressly don't like sports is that they're pretty set in their ways. They know what they like, and it's tough to change their mind. And it's even harder to change their mind by making them watch the thing that they don't understand. Drive to Survive is kind of a shortcut. It gives them a different way in. And so you watch the soap opera, and then you think, hang on, maybe I'll tune into a race. And it's a very different vibe. But suddenly, there are all your friends from the soap opera.
0: It's hard to quantify the exact impact of one TV show on F1's business. But there are signs it's been significant, especially in the U.S., where F1 has struggled to attract fans for decades. ESPN, which broadcasts F1 in the U.S., says viewership this season is up 50% over last year. Also up 50% was attendance at last weekend's U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. The weekend's races drew 400,000 people, including Jamie. And other sports leagues are taking notice.
2: My understanding is that the production company behind Drive to Survive now has every major league in the world knocking down their door. No kidding. Everyone else wants their drive to survive. And I've heard this anecdotally many times from different sports. Everyone's looking at this as a way to do a really glitzy, really popular ad for their league.
0: Last month, news broke that golf could be getting its own drive to survive. The PGA Tour is reportedly working with the same producers on a new Netflix reality show. What's the lesson in Drive to Survive for other sports? The lesson
2: is if you can find a different way to package your sport, that's the key for finding new fans and realizing that the sport is the sport, but sometimes the appeal might not be in the competition. And that's what Drive to Survive did really brilliantly, which was realizing, hang on, we have all of these characters right here at our fingertips. If we can just get them playing with each other and show it in a fun way then there's a hit in the making.
0: That's all for today, Friday, October 29th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Linebaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. The show is produced by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Gadkari, Rachel Humphreys, Brendan Klinkenberg, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Kayla Stokes, and Annie Rostrasser. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Bobby Lord, Billy Libby, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka and Amelia Schonbeck.
1: Thanks for listening. See you Monday.